Father, we ask in Jesus' name for your healing on this church family. We pray, Lord, that you would end this illness, this cycle of illness, of viruses and flu, and we just pray for healing for everybody in this room, for those online that are sick and can't come. We pray for healing. This, this cycle would stop now, we pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray that you speak your word to us and that we'd be those who really understand, Lord, how you have designed marriage to function and the gift, Lord, of romance. We'd really understand your perspective and that we would uh, uh, really walk it out in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I started to... uh, write this message, M, for mature audiences only. But I'm going to give you the PG-13 version as we will look at the Song of Solomon here in a moment. Now, Solomon was known for his wisdom. In fact, there's a, there's a story of this one bus driver in this big city that was known for his wisdom. In fact, they said he had the wisdom of Solomon. One time on his bus, there was two women that were fighting over the last available seat on the bus, and they would not stop their fight. And the conductor on the bus tried to somehow you know, get them to stop fighting and arguing over this seat, but uh, to no avail. Finally, this wise bus driver yelled out, let the ugly one take the seat. <laughs> Both of them stood the rest of the journey. But we're doing this series uh, on God's grand story, and we're going through the whole Bible. And today we are uh, in the section where King Solomon is the king of Israel, and he was known for his wisdom. Two of the books that Solomon wrote, we've already taught a lot on in recent uh, times here, Grace, the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you miss those messages. There's a number of messages I think you'd find very helpful there. You can go online, gracearlington.com. You can go to the archives and the sermons, and you can access those, of course, free of charge and, and be able to uh, really benefit from those. But Solomon actually wrote another book of wisdom that doesn't get a lot of time uh, in churches. And, and actually, I think most Christians don't even get there. It's kind of like the sticky pages in your Bible. You know, a lot of Christians haven't even read the Song of Solomon. But I believe the Song of Solomon is God's guide to romance. It's eight chapters of uninhibited, joyous immersion in verbal and physical expression of passion between a man and a woman in marriage. And I am going to give you the uh, PG-13 version of this today and, you, and, and then encourage you to read further on your own. Now, some Christians see Solomon's song as a book primarily of symbolism and allegory. They see it really speaking of a spiritual relationship between Christ and the church, or between Christ and an individual believer. But before uh, we go any further with it, I want to tell you four reasons why I do not believe 
that the Song of Solomon is an allegory, or the Song of Solomon is really a spiritual book about our relationship with Christ. I want to give you four reasons why I believe that what Solomon, Song of Solomon is, is exactly what it appears to be, and that is a book on how to celebrate and promote romance and even the gift of sex between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. I want to give you the four reasons why I don't believe it's an allegory. Number one is, just look, just read the book. Read the book is full of very sensual language. It certainly looks like it's about a physical and about emotional passions between a real man and a real woman in a marriage relationship. I mean, when, when Solomon was sitting at his desk writing the song, I mean, do you think he had in mind some symbolic, spiritualized uh, relationship between God and his people? I don't think he did. I think he wrote about exactly what he wrote about. Another reason why I don't believe it's an allegory or just a spiritual uh, message about Christ in the church is because God's relationship with man is not sensual. God's relationship with man and woman is not sexual. Now, the church certainly is the bride of Christ. But although the marriage between Christ and his bride will have many, I mean, unimaginably wonderful things, it will not involve sexuality. Now, will our relationship with Christ be uh, extraordinary and supernatural, supernaturally intimate? Yes. Will our relationship with Christ be infinitely rewarding and fulfilling? Yes. But it will not be sensual and it will not be sexual. The third reason why I do not believe you can do this to the book of Song of Solomon and spiritualize the whole thing is that spiritualizing the book doesn't work. It doesn't work. In fact, when many of the passages of the Song of Solomon are viewed as symbolic statements, the results can become very strange. Let's just try it out. Let's take Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 13. It says, My beloved is to me a pouch of myrrh which lies all night between my breasts. Now, there are some commentators who spiritualize the book who say this about this verse. They say that somehow this passage is a reference to Christ appearing between the Old and New Testaments. Really? I don't think so. Let's take another verse. This is chapter 7, verse 7 of the Song of Solomon. It says, your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. Again, a commentator who has spiritualized the entire Song of Solomon, he suggests that breasts here refer to the nurturing effect that sound biblical teaching has upon the church. When the man says to the woman that her breasts are like fruit on a palm tree, it seems to me that he's talking about her breast. 
Spiritualizing the Song of Solomon just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. It gets silly after a while when you try to do that. And what's worse, I think it also denies us the powerful impact that I think God intended for this book to have on our marriages. Let me give you a fourth reason why I don't believe you can spiritualize or allegorize the Song of Solomon, and that is, fourth reason is simply, I, I believe that we need the instruction that comes from this book. We need the instruction in our marriages that comes from this book. See, if marriage is immensely important to God, which it is, and if sex is this marvelous gift from God to married couples, which it is, and it's entirely appropriate for God to tell us in Scripture how to understand it and how to enjoy it. And that's what he does in the book of the Song of Solomon. So I want to uh, give you three, the three major lessons of the book. Three major lessons of God's Guide to Romance, which is what I'm calling the Song of Solomon. Here's the lessons, I think, for couples, Christian couples today. And this is for all those who are married. And this is for those who hope to be married one day that you also understand these lessons and will walk in them. Uh, when you are also in that covenant relationship. Lesson number one from the Song of Solomon for Christian couples today is number one is start by touching the heart and mind of your spouse before touching their body. Start by touching the heart and mind of your spouse before touching their body. This truth alone can change every marriage in this room and every marriage watching. Nothing kindles romance in a marriage like beginning with a husband who knows how to touch the heart and mind of his wife before he touches her body. And I'm convinced that the key to consistent growth in romance is found in carefully composed words. This is where romance Begins. This is God's guide to romance again. Romance begins with carefully composed words. And that's one of the features of this remarkable book, The Song of Solomon, is how these lovers in their marriage speak to one another. And I'm going to give you some examples of some carefully composed romantic words that they say to each other. Let's start with chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. He speaks, he says, How beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. She responds, How handsome you are, my beloved, and so pleasant. Let's jump to chapter 4. He says, You have made my heart beat faster. My sister, my bride, you have made my heart beat faster with a single glance of your eyes. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine? A garden locked up, my sister, a spring sealed up. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits. You are a garden spring, a well, fresh, well of fresh water and streams flowing from Lebanon. She responds, and over our doors are all choice fruits, both new and old, which I have saved up for you, my beloved. 
I mean, this is miles away from chit-chat about carpools and the kids' school, right, and church meetings. I mean, this is, this is, this is a whole different way of speaking to one another that is highly intentional, creative, provocative, romantic. It's on purpose. The whole way of reason for speaking to each other this way is to arouse romantic passion. That is why uh, they do it, is to inflame, you know, this d- d- the desire for one another. That's what this speaking is all about. And this is the, the message from God's Word, Song of Solomon. That's how couples begin romance, and couples continue romance as couples keep speaking to each other like this. They don't stop speaking to each other like this. They don't get to a certain age, they stop speaking to each other like this. I mean, the whole book resonates with this romantic, extravagant, verbal foreplay between these lovers. I mean, long before they touch each other, Physically, they've touched each other emotionally with words, carefully composed, tender, creative speech. That is where romance begins, and that's where so many couples have stopped functioning. They've stopped speaking to each other like this. Maybe they spoke to each other like this when they were dating. Maybe they did early in their marriage, but after a while, they just stopped. And it's unfortunate because stopping that is stopping romance. Romance begins with carefully composed words, speaking to each other. Let me give you another uh, example because it's important that we understand some of the odd statements they seem to make. We've got to remember that they are speaking with their figures of speech of the day. We need to understand how metaphors can be used in different cultures, different ways. We need to understand that to understand some of the things they say and how really beautiful they are. So let me give you an example of what might come across as an odd-sounding thing to say to your wife. Chapter 7, verse 4, he says to her, Your neck is like a tower of ivory. Your eyes are like the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath." Rabin, your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon, which faces north toward Damascus. Now, she actually received that as a wonderful compliment. And he meant it as that. He meant it as a very tender, heartfelt expression of deep admiration for her beauty. And she would have received it that way because she would have heard those lines something like this. Your nose is lovely, a feature perfectly suited to the rest of your face. It adorns your face like the way a tower gives breath and character to the horizon. It transforms and complements you so wonderfully. That's what he means to say by what he said. So I want to make the point that you cannot just parrot these verses (laughs) right out of the Song of Solomon. Because they're not going to be understood the same way. You can't tell your wife, honey, your nose is like a stone tower. (laughs) It's probably not going to get the reaction you're hoping for. Let me give you another passage. This man speaks to his beloved, saying this, chapter 1, verse 9. To me, my darling, you are like 
my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Now, he starts off, my darling, so he's about to say something very, you know, endearing. And so he says that you are like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Again, it's important that we understand how, how this analogy works. What does this a metaphor mean? Now, one writer suggests that because he said she's like his mare, that she must be a woman of large hips, <coughs> suitable for childbearing. Another writer indicates that, uh, well, she must have been a fast runner. But again, they missed the whole point of the metaphors of the day. <coughs> now, what happened was the king's chariots were only pulled by stallions. They were never pulled by mares. So a little research, you find out that, that when the pharaoh had his chariots pulled, they were pulled by stallions only, hitched together. If you were to hitch a mare with a stallion, what you'd have is the stallion would all of a sudden go into a frenzy of galloping desire. So the analogy really has nothing to do with a horse. It has to do with what he's saying is, he's basically saying to her, you drive me wild, baby. Just like that mare would drive that stallion wild. That's what you do to me. That's what he's saying. So again, we need to understand a little bit about the kinds of metaphors that are being used to realize that he is saying very romantic things. Now, let me give you a passage that's packed with carefully composed words. That's our first point. That's where romance begins, how we speak to one another. So chapter 4, verse 1 through 7, let's read it. How beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats that have descended from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn ewes which have come up from their washing, all of which bear twins, and not one of them has lost her young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples are like a slice of pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the tower of David built with rows of stones on which are hung a thousand shields, all the round shields of mighty men. Your true breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies until the cool of the day when the shadows flee away. I will go on my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are all together, beautiful, my darling, and there is no blemish in you. <clears throat> so these verses begin with, this, he doesn't just say, hey, you are, you are really beautiful. I mean, he gets real specific, and uh, he doesn't speak in generalities, because generalities wouldn't do for him. And he begins to actually compliment seven parts of her body. And uh, he gets real creative with it. He says things like, your teeth are white and fresh like newly shorn bay sheep that glisten in the sun. Best of all, each has its twin. In other words, you have no missing teeth, and that's really beautiful. <laughs> now, a thousand years ago, that was a big deal, okay? And then he goes on to praise in specific, compelling, poetic terms her lips and her mouth, her temples. He goes lower. He speaks in tender, radiant language of her neck, her breast, declaring with breathtaking delicacy, understanding all of his romantic intentions. Then he ends this love poem by assuring her that in his eyes she's beautiful without a flaw. 
to him. It's, it's how, how he sees her. She has no flaw. That's how he sees her. Perfection. And by the way, it's important, guys, uh, for me to point out that he's using language about what he means to her. He's not just giving facts. He's not saying, well, honey, you're five foot seven, medium build, you got a birthmark on your left shoulder, and you're mildly allergic to shellfish. Even if that was accurate, that wasn't, wouldn't be very romantic, right? So he's, 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 speaking about, he's speaking in language about what she means to him. And, and, and the language is to fuel the fires of romance, okay? So let's bring this home a little bit. I want you, the couples, uh, married couples here, to think about uh, when's the last time you spoke to one another in any romantic language? Most likely it's been too long. And it's important that we realize that's God's guide to romance. It starts with how we speak to one another. Those of you that are married, those of you who hope to work married one day, understand this is how in that marriage you will speak to each other if you really want to have God's kind of romance. And you, some of you are saying, well, I, I mean, I'm not really a good speaker. Maybe I should write it out. Write it out. Write, write love poems. Write notes to each other. Every time I uh, go on a missions trip, uh, I, leave, I leave a stack of cards to Tracy that are, that are dated every night I'm gone. So every night she gets to, she waits until the evening and she opens a card that I have for her that night. You know, I, write, I write her love notes all every, for every night I'm gone, and I've been doing this for many years, and it makes coming home a wonderful experience. So first point is touch each other's minds and hearts with carefully composed words. That's where romance starts. That's number one, God's guide to romance. Number two is focus on the friendship. Focus on the friendship. Five times in Solomon's song, the man declares his wife, he says, my sister, my bride, or my sister, my love, and she refers to him as my beloved and my friend. My beloved and my friend. So you see that their relationship is very comprehensive and complete. It's not just, it's not just physical. I mean, they, are, they have this deep friendship. They speak to each other with carefully composed words, and they focus on a deep, deep friendship, which is key to romance, is having a deep friendship. And I, and I tell young people all the time that God's plan for you is, not, is, is way more than sex. It's romance. It's romance. And romance requires a deep friendship. When I, back when I was a college pastor, I was a college pastor uh, for seven years before we started Grace Community Church, and we celebrated 35 years. But one of the things I did on the campus of UTA is I would speak at fraternity houses. And, and I'd let them know I'd, I'd come and speak. And, and I actually did, one of my messages at fraternity houses was actually advertise how to have great sex. That was, my, that was the title of my, my, my speech to the fraternity house. And they, they packed out the place. I mean, they packed it out. I came in there, and they heard a preacher, a pastor's going to come and tell them how to have great sex, and they couldn't miss it. So they packed in there, and I walk in the room, and they're hooping and hollering. And I said, how many of you guys want to have great sex? They're out, they're hooping and hollering. I said, great. God, 
is the one who designed it. He, he invented it, he designed it, and if you want to have it, you've got to do it his way, and it starts by reserving it to the covenant of marriage. All of a sudden, he gets quiet in the room. <laughs> got to do it God's way if you want really the blessing that God has intended at first to have. And part of that, to understand romance, is to have this commitment to each other. That's why there's a covenant of marriage. That's all this embraces. There's a commitment in here and a friendship, a deep friendship, that really is going to be key to romance. So that's the first two parts. I'm about to get to the third part. First part is carefully composed words. How we speak to one another is key in a marriage relationship. Secondly is a deep friendship, a deep friendship. Thirdly, it's about romance as well. And Solomon actually gives us three steps of romance in the book of Solomon. Solomon, Solomon. Here's the three steps that are given. Again, this is God's guide to romance. Step number one of romance here is kissing. Kissing, all right? There's numerous references in the Song of Solomon to kissing. In fact, let me read chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine. And the fragrance of your oils and all kinds of spices. Your lips, my bride, drip honey. Honey and milk are under your tongue. I mean, there's some serious kissing going on here. I mean, long before it was a French kiss, it was an Israelite kiss. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's, in the, it's right here in the, in the verse. It begins with kissing. Then he talks about touching and caressing. Chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. All throughout the book, he talks about touching and caressing. He says, your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit stalks. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine. Now there's touching and caressing going on. And thirdly, we get it to ultimate intimacy. Chapters 4 and 5. I'm keeping this PG-13. I'll give you, I'm going to give you a verse, and then I'm going to just let you figure it out. Chapter 4, verse 16. Awake, O north wind, and come, wind of the south. Make my garden, breathe out fragrance. Let his spices be wafted abroad. May my beloved come into his garden and eat its choice fruits. Okay, let's move right along. (laughs) What you see here is that they they are expressing a deep love for each other. And And it begins with carefully composed words. There's this deep friendship. And then there's this intimacy that they move into. And this is God's guide to romance. These three steps are key. Carefully composed words, deep friendship, and then there's intimacy, physical intimacy. So I want to end with just some practical uh, guides that can help us all in our marriages, those that you hope to be married one day, that you will also remember these important practical steps. Number one, uh, a regular date night is key. Time away from the routine of busyness where you can cultivate romance in your marriage. A regular 
date night. And by the way, guys, this doesn't mean stop by Lowe's and pick up, you know, some tools. You know, a date, a date night is time to relax together, but it's also time to relate, where you're communicating. Uh, one of our favorite dates, Tracy and I, is we just, we have a fire pit out in the back patio, and we like to sit by the fire and, and just talk and relate, and that's a big part of what a date night is to be, and it doesn't have to be expensive. By the way, do you know that the number one date in America is a picnic? And by the way, you're probably going to eat anyway, right? So, so take your food and a blanket and go to the park, you know, on a pretty day. So, a number, so it doesn't have to be an expensive thing to have a date. I hear young couples say, well, I, I, talk, I ask them, do you have a date now? They say, well, we can't afford it. I say, hey, when Tracy and I were your age, we didn't have any money, and we had lots of dates. So you can get creative, you can go to the park, take walks, but the main thing is relate, have a picnic. So a regular date night, and by the way, if you guys don't have one in your marriages, those of you that are married, then before today is over, you need to go ahead and put one down. This is our regular date night. And sometimes someone will ask us to do something on our date night, and we don't say we can't do it because we have a date. We just say we we already have a commitment that night. Because a lot of people are thinking, well, if you're really a spiritual pastor, you'll, you know, you'll go ahead and do the spiritual thing. But it is very spiritual to keep a date night. Amen? So have a date. Now, number two, phone calls. Phone calls. You know, just, just surprise each other. But pick up the phone and call. Uh, Tracy and I do that often. I just, just call her and say, how you doing? I love you. I look forward to seeing you. It's, just simple, it's a simple little, 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 you know, touching base with each other. Uh, notes, cards, letters, email, you know, just a text. A lot of times, just a little text, a little emoji of a kiss, blowing a kiss, boom, throughout the day, boom, kiss, another kiss, another kiss. It just lets you know, I was thinking about you in the middle of this day. She writes one back. I, I send one kiss, she sends two kisses. I send three back. She sends four. And you just, it's just something that you just regularly communicate with each other. Uh, letters, emails. Another thing is gifts. And gifts don't have to be expensive. Just a little something that you let them know that you're thinking about them. Uh, I thought, at one point, I thought flowers kind of ran their course uh, in our marriage, but they haven't. In fact, Tracy likes it when I pick wildflowers. We have a field out behind our house. I'll go pick wildflowers and just bring them to her. And uh, she loves it because she knows I took the time, you know, to think about her. But just little gifts to each other. Another thing is music. For those of you who can sing, to sing a song to your spouse, I mean, is a very romantic thing to do. We've got a lot of wonderful uh, singers here, and uh, it do- that doesn't work for me. That would ruin the whole night if I, <laughs> if I decided to sing a song to Tracy. I mean, it's, the night's over. All right, getaways. You know, it's having a date night on a regular, uh, every week, but a getaway every so often, just, just, just get away for a couple days. Get away where... You know, and where you can't, they can't re- you can't be reached. You just have each other uh, to enjoy. Another thing is surprises. Tracy loves surprises. I don't like surprises. And so it's, I, mean, I, I can come up with a whole surprise for Tracy and just say, hey, just you know, pack a bag and I'm not going to tell you anything else. And she's like, oh, she's all excited. I'm like, she did that to me. I'm like, where are we going? I, I don't surprise me. I, so you just got to know what each other likes. <clears throat> But here it is, guys. This is real simple. This isn't rocket science. And I, I probably haven't said anything that hasn't been very clear to us in the past, but we just tend not to do it. 
But here's the key. Here's God's guide to romance. Carefully composed words. Speak to each other. Cherish each other. Say things to each other. What you mean to each other. Write it out. Sing it to each other. Carefully composed words. And then focus on a deep friendship. I mean, you, you know, husband and wife should be best friends. And so just, just really have a deep friendship. And then uh, you know what to do next. And then you move into the physical intimacy. And this is really what God's design for romance is. So I want to close by praying for those who are married, but also those who hope to be, like to be married. So let's all stand together and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, that, uh, that you've given us guidance to really what you want us to understand, what you want us to enjoy. So I, I, would just, I just pray a blessing on every marriage of Grace Community Church. I pray your blessing on the husband and the wife really growing in romance with each other. I pray, Lord, that you would just cause the marriages in our church to become a fair proof because of how much they love each other and walk that out. Lord, I also just pray for those in our church who are single now, single but would like to be married. Lord, would you bring the, the, the right person at the right time? Or would you just provide, would you, would you even speed that up, Lord? Some of them have been praying and asking and waiting. Lord, would you even speed it up and bring along that person for them to be able to really be in, in a committed, committed relationship, in a covenant relationship, and really enjoy the blessing that you really mean for a couple to have? I pray for every single person here that wants that to happen, Lord, would you speed it up in the name of Jesus? And Lord, as we enter in this season of, of gift giving, Lord, we want to remember this amazing gift that you have given all of us who are married, Lord. And sometimes we take for granted the wonderful gift that you've given us. So we just want to say thank you for our spouse, Lord. And I just, we just, I just pray, Lord, you would enable each of us to cherish the spouse you've given us, the gift you've given us during this season as well. Lord, I pray this week that we'd see growth in all of the romance relationships and the marriages. And I pray, Lord, you'd also uh, just surprise some of our singles, even this week, with your answer to their prayers. In Jesus' name.